You're listening to the On The Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending November 20th, 2015. Welcome to the Friday recap of top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Dara Curran, content developer and news writer. My esteemed colleague Bill Olver is away this week. The Office of Management and Budget announced it is preparing new guidance for agencies that will clarify and update requirements for data center consolidation. According to Federal Chief Information Officer Tony Scott, the guidance will better define what counts as a data center and refresh reduction goals. OMB will set an overall target for the federal government and assist agencies with the specifics of how to set goals for themselves. Scott noted the guidance would emphasize improving the effectiveness and efficiency of technology systems and not just numeric achievements. Two top acquisition defense officials have announced their departure plans. Army Assistant Secretary for Acquisition, Logistics, and Technology Heidi Hsu and Air Force Assistant Secretary for Acquisition William LaPlante will be stepping down from their posts, Hsu at the end of January and LaPlante at the end of this month. The General Services Administration's Acquisition Gateway has just had its one-year anniversary. The platform has grown from just three-category hallways to 19 and offers a variety of tools and resources to assist contracting professionals. According to John Philemon, Senior Innovation Specialist for the Gateway, the agency plans to focus on improving the interactivity and usability of the tools and resources that are offered, in addition to adding new ones. Acquisition professionals can provide feedback to GSA on what they would find most helpful. You can use your OMB Max account to register and provide input on hallways.cap.gsa.gov. The Defense Logistics Agency is getting ready to expand the way it uses performance-based logistics, or PBL, contracts. Instead of incentivizing the contractor to improve supply chain management, DLA is looking at leveraging PBL to encourage its vendors to improve the actual products they're providing. DLA gave the example of improving a helicopter. If a vendor can make one that can go, say, 10,000 miles in between tune-ups instead of just 5,000 miles, DLA will be able to save money on the associated maintenance work and products since that tune-up is happening less frequently. That incentive, in turn, can be passed on to the contractor. It also encourages industry to make investments in improving the products being used by the military. Department of Defense components had some mixed results when they developed their fiscal year 2013 inventory of contracted services, according to a recent GAO review. As of September 2015, 35 of 37 components certified they had reviewed contracts and activities in the fiscal year 2013 inventory, and compared to prior years, more of the review elements required by DOD guidance were addressed. However, GAO found components may not be accurately reporting the extent to which their contractors are performing services closely associated with inherently governmental functions. For example, although Army identified almost 80% of its contracts for certain types of services as including those kinds of functions, the Navy and other components identified just 13% of contracts in similar categories as having them. When GAO more closely examined a sample of 28 contract actions, they noted that pre-award reviews were not consistently identifying or documenting whether contractors would potentially perform work closely associated with inherently governmental functions. 
GAO's recommendations included issuing clear guidance on how to identify whether contract activities include closely associated with inherently governmental functions, documenting prior to award whether the proposed contract action includes those activities, and ensuring defense components pay special attention to the product service codes that are likely to encompass those activities. DOD today issued an assortment of rules to amend the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement. Effective November 20th, a final rule removes Section 216.401-70, which established the requirement for DOD agencies to collect and report data on award and incentive fees paid to contractors, which is now available through peer review and other sources, and no longer needs to be manually collected. Under the proposed rules, the first would clarify how the clause prescription for DFARS 252.225-7001, that's the Buy American and Balance of Payments program, addresses applicability when an exception to the Buy American Act or Balance of Payments program applies. The proposed rule clarifies that the clause is required in solicitations and contracts unless the acquisition is for supplies for use within the U.S. and an exception to the Buy American Act applies, or the acquisition is for supplies for use outside the U.S., and an exception to the Balance of Payments program applies. The next rule would establish a contract term for shared energy savings contract services under 10 U.S. Code 2913, which authorizes DOD to contract with utility service providers to implement energy conservation measures on military bases, but does not establish a term limit for such contracts. The proposed rule would amend DFARS 241.103 to establish a not-to-exceed limit of 25 years. The third rule would extend and modify contract authority for advanced component development and prototype units per Section 811 of the 2015 NDAA. This applies to major systems acquisitions and would allow for the inclusion of a contract line item, possibly an option, to go to initial production without further competition. The authority to do this is extended from September 30th, 2014 through to September 30th of 2019. Comments on the proposed rules must be submitted by January 19, 2016 to be considered in the formation of a final rule. We'll wind up our headlines with a GAO protest decision that will set us up with a nice segue into the next portion of the podcast. GAO denied a pre-award protest that challenged an agency decision not to set aside a federal supply schedule order for small business. The agency issued an RFQ for roughly $4,300 through GSA's eBuy portal under the FSS procedures at Federal Acquisition Regulation Subpart 8.4. Before the deadline, a small business protested that the agency should have set aside the solicitation based on the Small Business Act's requirement for orders valued between $3,000 and $150,000 to be set aside for small businesses, as long as two competitive bids could likely be expected. The protester further noted several small businesses, including several schedule holders, could have filled the requirement. Interestingly, SBA sided with the protester, but GAO disagreed and pointed out that the Small Business Jobs Act has a provision that gives agencies the discretion over whether to set aside all or part of a multiple award contract or orders placed against them. FAR Subpart 8.4 was correspondingly amended to state that socioeconomic set-asides are not mandatory for FSS programs, although contracting officers may do so. FAR Part 19 also was amended to provide officers with discretion to set aside orders placed under the FSS program and all other multiple award contracts. GAO therefore denied the protest. 
So let's talk about small business contracting. Before we get into this week's specific developments, I think it's worth touching back on last week's successful outcome of the 18F Group's use of a reverse auction to obtain their winning $1 bid on software code that they were pursuing. Now, although we all love a bargain, the dollar cost was not the only successful aspect of that effort. Also, half of the bidders were brand new registrants to the system for award management, which shows that that strategy did indeed help bring non-traditional contractors into doing business with the government. The University of Maryland School of Public Policy this week released an interesting study that highlighted the unintended consequences of regulations that are aimed at helping small businesses. The paper focused mainly on DOD because, hey, that's over half of the government's spending, right? For fiscal year 2014, DOD accounted for $280 billion of the $440 billion that was spent government-wide. The main assertion of the study is some programs are working absolutely great. The Small Business Technology Transfer Program is one. Also, the Small Business Innovation Research Program. These were cited in the report as examples of super successful small business programs. 21,000 new companies have been launched from those platforms. Why are they so successful? Well, in part, it's because they play to one of the key strengths that small businesses bring, and the reason government wants to woo them in the first place, and that's innovation. And if you are a tiny firm with an innovative new product that the DOD happens to want a piece of, well, as you can imagine, U of M also found those programs helped give the small businesses a major leg up on commercializing that product and providing stability for their business. But of course, they found some problems. First, DOD doesn't really have 100% visibility over how much is going to small businesses because it's really hard to keep track in such a huge, huge enterprise of what's been subcontracted when you get down to those multiple tier layers below the prime. There is not also uniform representation across all sectors. Professional services and professional engineering services, yes, lots and lots and lots of small businesses there. Manufacturing, eh, not so much. Okay, so. They have a nice little niche there. Is that so bad, you may ask? Well, the study does argue, yes, that niche actually can keep them trapped. And moreover, growth, which is an objective of these programs. The study asserts that there isn't really a good off-ramp for businesses that are no longer all that small. In fact, there are reverse incentives for firms to resist growing because they may not be teeny tiny anymore just because they've sized up outside that headcount or income level that specifically qualifies them as small, it doesn't mean they're really ready to compete in the big pool yet. And then they end up becoming dependent on these federal contracts, which is not at all what anyone is aiming for. Now, meanwhile, contracting officers on their side are trying to meet their quotas, that 23%, yes, let's go. And if, as we stated before, small businesses predominantly are represented in professional services arena, uh, there's not that many sectors for the contracting officers to obtain their quotas in. So the result is other, possibly even more qualified bidders may be being edged out because those metrics set by SBA have to be met. So the study asks 23% in those various subcategories that are set for every agency every year by SBA, are they still really relevant? Is that the best way to accomplish what the objectives are? Or has that all become too blunt an instrument? The study authors, of course, have a number of recommendations, one of which was a new methodology of computing 
what small business participation really should be. And that should count all levels, they specify. And the flip side as well, what chunk of competitions that agencies are putting out there should remain full and open. Also, tracking all aspects of the set-aside program is important. There are other things besides that 23% that show whether the intent of the program is working or not. For example, are new jobs being created? Patents filed for new products? And what does it cost to have agencies administering this program and making sure those quotas are met. The study also suggests reviving the Small Business Competitiveness Demonstration Program. This is very interesting. This was discontinued by the Small Business Jobs Act of 2010, but originally it was examining the effect on small businesses of a totally freely competitive market without small business set-asides. How would they fare there? It may be the advantage that they're being given by the set-asides maybe it's not really enough anymore to offset the various expenses, lack of competitiveness, etc., that are incurred by the program. But we don't know, right, because it's not being measured. The study, of course, focuses on positives as well. Expanding SBIR, that's working so great. Make it bigger. Support the businesses that are doing the best. Help them to grow, but critically, have a place for them to grow into. And maybe setting a time limit for small firms to remain eligible for set-aside, say, 10 years to eliminate any temptation that they may have to rest on that very soft bed of laurels that will take away the incentive to stay small. And the measurements done by the government, they need to be better. You can't track how things are going if you can't see clearly. That's like walking in the fog and asking, are we there yet, right? You don't know. Now, DOD has already been testing a related aspect of this. They have a test program for negotiation of comprehensive small business subcontracting plans. It's a very big, long name, but it basically aggregates the paperwork. Participating primes can submit a single subcontracting plan for all of their contracts. That can be by plant, by division, by company, as opposed to submitting a separate plan for each. So it's once and done. Now, this was launched in 1989 as a three-year program, and it's now been extended eight different times, but it's still in test mode because there hasn't really been comprehensive data assessing how things have been going. So GAO took a look, and they found, hey, this is going pretty well. This is actually a mechanism that seems going to be a win for both sides. GAO estimated that participating firms, for example, avoided $18.5 million in administrative costs in 2013. One participant noted that they had a plan. It covered more than 3,000 contracts that otherwise would have all needed to be submitted individually if this program wasn't in place. Now, DOD is not making out too shabbily either on the deal. A 2007 review estimated the department saved $45 million through that administrative avoidance, and that was in 2005, so we have to imagine the number would probably be bigger now. The biggest issue seems to be DOD is hesitant to allow anybody else in to start participating in the program, and contractors, for their part, are hesitant to expand any further when this program is up for reconsideration every three years. If you take away this test status, everybody seems pretty much on board. Moreover, the contractors are getting way more play in this arrangement. First off, there is more visibility over the issue of small business subcontracting in the first place, simply because this program exists, right? It's on Prime's radars. Primes could also leverage their subs organization-wide instead of just on a contract-by-contract -contract basis, and that flexibility has really been helping. The work with the subs that they have been doing has started to creep outside of their defense contracts, too, so there's more business going to these little guys. The kind of work they're getting to, remember the study found, oh, mostly there's specialization in professional services, etc. This work under the DOD test program is allowing more forays into technical product areas, so that's also good. Individually set goals, 
They weren't always being met, admittedly, but aggregate goals were well surpassing what the targets were, to the tune of $5.4 billion, and that's for fiscal 2006 through 2013 combined. But we talked earlier about the study complaining, visibility, accurate visibility, all tiers was hard. Well, now you can see how this program, laudable as it is, really fuzzes that up, right? You don't have just one single well that you're dropping your bucket into, trying to measure your water use. You have a whole aquifer of small businesses and subcontract work to try to keep tabs on. However, there are NDAA provisions coming down the pike that will require more detailed tracking, and participants on both sides seem willing to invest in shoring up all of the related structures if the program's made permanent. Anyway, so a lot of food for thought there about different things that are going on with small businesses. You know, obviously a lot of the big stuff is going to have to source with SBA, although the conventional wisdom is they are going to be starting to look at uh, at least the target numbers again, since everybody did so well last year uh, for the second year in a row, too. So there may be some room to open up conversation about this. But, you know, in the meantime, remember, you know, 18F and their little experiment under the micro-purchase threshold? That was a little tiny test foray and uh, getting new small businesses in. So there are a lot of different areas on the spectrum where there's room to think about how the federal government approaches involving small businesses in its work. Okay, well, that is all for this week. Uh, if you are a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you can find links to this week's headlines for further reading on VAO. It'll be on the same page where you downloaded the podcast. You can also comment there about the podcast if you have anything you'd like to share with us. Thank you for listening. We will have a hiatus next week due to the holiday, but hope that you will join us again on Friday, December 4th for our next news recap. In the meantime, get out your stretchy pants, and I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving.